Hello, it's Paul Scott here, Small Caps investor, commentator and writer of the Small Cap Valley Reports on Stockopedia.com with Graham Neary and occasional help from Roland Head. I'm recording this on Sunday the 11th of February 2024 and we're covering, um, I'm summarising the five Small Cap Valley Reports this week from Monday the 5th through to Friday the 9th of February. It's still busy, but the deluge of um, 2023 full-year trading updates is now uh, has mainly now happened. I was updating my spreadsheet yesterday, and would you believe we've reported on um, 175 unique companies in 2024 to date? Uh, pretty extensive coverage, I think you'd agree. In, in what's that? Seven weeks we've covered 175 companies, even if it was only a brief comment, but most of those we covered in a reasonable amount of depth. So I'm really delighted with the... Um, we're now going well into mid-cap territory as well. So we're covering a large a large part of the market overall in the small-cap value reports. We should probably change the name to smaller mid-cap reports. But it's getting a bit better now that we're having fewer companies to report on in February. It means we can go in, in a bit more depth and we're not having to rush through them all quite so much. So on Monday 5th of February, in the main report, we looked at three companies. The first one is one of <coughs> one of my favourite 2024 share ideas, a company called Porver, PRV. This is on my top 20 list. Um, not because I think the shares are going to multi-bag or anything, but I just think it's a really good, decent quality company. Um, <clears throat> that, that, that traditionally has been very highly valued. Uh, Paul Ver does specialist filtration products, which are you know repeat um, ordered by the customers for aviation and medical and various other niche sectors where you've got pretty good margins. And it's been self-funding um, acquisitions as well over the years. Seems very well run, I think, Paul Ver is. And yeah, as I was saying, it, it, in the past it's been very expensive, but the shares, I think, now are a lot more reasonable. So I quite like this one as just a, a nice, steady, long-term um, investment that I think should do very well. It's multi-bagged over the long term, although it's been kind of going sideways for the last few years. Uh, anyway, I reviewed its um, results. I think these were for year-ending November 2023. Um, <clears throat> I've described it here as quality at reasonable price. Uh, poor there, this is, PRV. Uh, um, results came in, as, as, uh, came in ahead of... Uh, modestly set forecasts. I had been flagging in the previous reports where I covered it late last year that it was the forecasts were set to be beaten and they were. Um, didn't really make much difference to the share price so everyone else had obviously worked that out as well. Got a really nice balance sheet. Cash flows are mainly funding acquisitions with only modest divvies. That's fine. That's a, a policy choice. If they can get a better return um, from acquisitions, then it's better for them to do that. And the outlook sounds confident. So I've said here I continue to view Porver as a good um, long-term investment idea. So I'm green on Porver. <clears throat> now, CMC Markets, uh, ticker CMCX. This is the broker and spread betting company. Now, this uh, Graham and I are delighted with this one. Funnily enough, both Graham and I independently chose this share for our top 10 or in for Graham and top 20 for me share ideas for 2024. So I think maybe next year we should take, uh, ha take a look at Graham and my uh, lists and um, 
probably buy the one where we both uh, uh, put it on our list because it's risen over 50% already. Now, we didn't foresee that, to be fair, but we did see that the valuation was absolutely on its floor at the end of 2023 and that it was fully asset-backed by its own working capital. So you were basically getting the business for free. Um, Anyway, they've done some fairly uh, deep cost-cutting and they reduced, and they produced rather, an ahead of expectations trading update. So CMC Markets has done phenomenally well so far, up about 50% just this year to date in seven weeks. Uh, this was it. Graham covered it because they put out a surprise announcement saying <clears throat> they're shedding 200 staff. Obviously, always painful when people are involved in cost cutting. Um, but as a couple of people noticed, as did I, that the uh, that the exceptional costs related to this uh, annualised £21 million cost savings, the, the, the upfront exceptional costs seemed very low. Because normally, you know, redundancy packages are quite expensive. But um, a couple of the readers, I think, um, reckoned that these were probably contractors who, you know, had reached the end of a, a specific term contract and so could, could be let go without substantial costs. It's quite ironic, it really, isn't it? All the measures designed to protect employees have actually incentivised employers to use outsourced staffing companies and, and have fixed-term contractors rather than having all these open-ended liabilities to employees. So they've, you could argue that, that measures designed to help employees in a way have, have sort of backfired. But anyway, that's, that's going off at a tangent. So both Graham and I still like CMC Markets. We think it was obviously an inspired pick for 2024. We do get the odd one. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yes, so far so good. And we, we don't think it's expensive even now. Now, Graham had a look at Bidstack, B-I-D-S. This is this uh, struggling software company that does in-game advertising. Um, it's looked to be in real trouble for quite a while. And anyway, it's, <clears throat> it's announced cost reduction and efficiency plans. <clears throat> Graham didn't do a summary, uh, so I put a summary in where I just said, ominous news here, looks like it's heading for disaster. So yeah, I think Bitstack is heading in a very negative direction. So that was Monday's report, the 5th of February. Right, on to Tuesday the 6th of February 2024. We covered five companies, um, some quite interesting ones here actually. Probably, uh, yeah, one, an, an idea that I've been positive about in the past fairly consistently was um, Gaming Realms, GMR. This does the software that it licenses to, I think, mainly online casinos um, for Slingo, which is a hybrid of um, bingo and slot machines. It seems to be very popular because all these online casinos are licensing it and Gaming Realms receives um, recurring revenues from these deals. Anyway, the figures, what were these? Uh, oh, trading update, that was it. It was in line for calendar 2023 from Gaming Realms, GMR. Um, but uh, the, the, I think it's very, very interesting, this share. If you look, just look at the numbers, I think the valuation is still reasonable. It's got a really good um, organic established track record now of growing revenues and profits quite strongly. 
a healthy balance sheet with net cash. I did have some reservations about GMR going back, say, about, I'm thinking roughly three, four years ago. I wasn't sure about whether it would need to dilute again, and the business model, the management didn't explain it very well at the time, I remember, on a on a webinar. But um, my reservations on it now have gone, because the track record, um, it's, it's, it's just delivered great figures and great growth over several years now. And the outlook statement says basically just more of the same. You know, they're going to go into with more international customers, Customers, obviously, huge global market. It's up to you if you're happy with the ethics of, of gaming companies or not. I'm not going to preach on that front. But in terms of the numbers, I like Gaming Realms. I think it's growth at reasonable price. So I had to be green on that one. Now, the probably the most interesting share of the week, I think, was Beak's Financial Cloud, BKS. Now, I've been enthusiastically following this company for about five or six years. Well, since it floated, actually. Um, And it's had some, I think it's fair to say it's had some bumps in the road. Um, It's missed forecasts a couple of times. Um, Had to do a couple of top-up placings. Because, unfortunately, what it does is it provides connections to um, financial um, exchanges all over the world. So stock markets, currency market, you know, all, all sorts of things. And put servers in the basement next to the the, the uh, servers of the exchange itself, and clients can then download trading algorithms onto Beaks servers, which allow them to trade instantly without any latency or anything like that, uh, according to preset algorithms that the clients create. Um, but but they're scaling up, and they're now going for um, bigger and bigger deals with uh, major. Um, international stock markets so Johannesburg stock market was one where Beaks provides connectivity and then and then Beaks's customers all connect through Beaks and and play and pay recurring revenues so it's uh, the only flaw of the business model that I can see is that it's quite capex hungry when they get a big new client in they have to buy lots of computer servers and lots of cabling uh, which is obviously an upfront cost um uh, and, and then they get a very, very long stream of sticky, growing, recurring revenues. So I think it's a good business model overall, but it has had to shell out a fair bit in, in CapEx in the past. Well, anyway, very, very uh, good announcement from Beaks came out on Tuesday 6th of February uh, regarding contract wins um, that it's achieved. And it's it, it, it's won a major stock market um, contract, which is not... which is not allowed to disclose who the customer is, but it's a biggie, I'm told. And um, that still has to go through regulatory clearance, which uh, has never been a problem in the past, so I don't see why that would be now. But, um, and basically, uh, they've raised forecasts for year-ending June 2025, because there's about a six-month um, delay in new contracts getting set up. That's the reason, and it's a June year end, so it won't benefit, the, these contract wins won't benefit the 2024 year end, which it says it's in line for. Um, but the forecasts for June 2025 have been raised quite considerably, and they haven't factored in any forecasts from the big major contract um, until it's all, you know, properly signed off by the regulators, then they'll... So you should get another step up in the June, in the June 2025 forecast, if all goes according to plan. So I think Beaks is looking really exciting. BKS, it's an existing holding of mine, although it wasn't really much more than a foot-in-the-door type position. And I found it really difficult to resist the temptation to just trim trim the position through boredom. Not necessarily boredom, but other things crop up and you think, oh, I, I want to buy some of those, but I'll have to sell something 
And to my shame, I have to admit that I did top slice my beaks holding several times last year in 2023 to raise money for other things that I was desperate to buy. So unfortunately, and, you know, I've paid the price now for um, for being impatient. You know, I, I really do think the main theme of this week's podcast is that we need to be much more patient. And if you're onto a good company that you've researched thoroughly, this is memo to self. I'm, I'm, I'm lecturing myself here. You know, if I've done the research and I know I'm onto a, a good company of good management, as I, as I was and am with Beaks, I should just sit tight and resist the urge to trim positions to raise money because, you know, I ended up with Beaks buying them back at a much higher price. I just I just decided, right, I'm going to buy them back and keep them this time. So I really missed out because I think I paid up to about £1.37 to buy back um, some of the Beaks shares that I'd sold last year through boredom and, uh, and whatever. Um, so, I, you know, I was probably selling them for about £1.10 or something from memory. So I'm buying them back now at a, a significantly higher price. But I think the company's worth more now. Now that we've got these um, contract win announcements, and, you know, the growth rate at Beaks really is exceptional. And I think, you know, I think it's a really, really special company, actually, where <clears throat> I'm going to hold on tight to my shares. I think Beaks is really going places. Um but I do accept that it has had some bumps in the road. But, you know, not many companies, it's a smooth sailing from, you know, nothing to a major multi-bagger. You know, you get big pullbacks along the way. That's just the way it is. And I think we're getting a lot more for our money with Beaks now than we than we have been at any point in the past. So I think it's still cheap. And it held on to most of its gains and ended the week at about, I think, about £1.50-ish, I think. So it gapped up from, uh, what was it, 95p or something. Uh, several people pointed out there had been obvious leaks of the information because it started surging uh, on high volumes about two days before. So that that leaves a bit of a <clears throat> bad taste, doesn't it? I don't like it when that sort of thing happens. <clears throat> but anyway, um, uh, I think Bix is looking really exciting, actually. So I will probably be adding to my position on any pullbacks because in between announcements everything drifts down doesn't it talking of which plexus has really dropped a lot it started the year at 20p it's down to about 13p now which i think is crackers i have no idea why anyone would be selling because when i started buying at four and a half five p last summer you know it was on the brink it was it was looking as if it could quite easily go bust the position now is absolutely transformed it's now it's now cash rich from doing the £8 million um, high-margin rental deal that it did, plus um, getting in $5.2 million from uh, a licensing deal with Schlumberger. So the company's in great shape, vastly better shape than it was this time last year. Um, and But most of the gains have been given up. So, look, it's up to you. I'm not going to just talk it up. People can make their own minds up. All I do is flag up the RNSs, the facts and figures. That it's forecast to make a uh, a bumper profit in June twenty four, and I th- on revenues that are going to be increased about tenfold. So I think uh, it's looking very interesting, but it is dependent on more contract news. But these won't you know won't happen every week. You know these are big specialist contracts. Basically, it only really needs to win one big contra- contract each year. Um, so I think watch the space with Plexus. I think it's very cheap, but you know you've just the market just has to find a price where short term people just get bored and drift off, stop losses kick in, and they all end up selling. And you know there's some great contract news will come out, and they'll all be desperately buying back in about thirty percent higher. <laughs> That's the way it works, isn't it? But anyway, look, it could go either way. But I'm 
It's a sleep at night share now, Plexus is, which it certainly wasn't when I originally bought. So I'm comfortable with it. For me, it's a sort of 12, 18 month project. I've bought them uh, and I'm just going to ignore the share price and we'll see what happens. I think the fundamentals there could be very good, but uh, no guarantees either way. We'll just have to wait and see what happens. But it's well funded now. That, that was the main issue which has been dealt with. Uh, with hardly any dilution. I think management are sometimes criticised on the bulletin boards, but I think they've actually pulled off a blinder, and they haven't... They've only diluted small shareholders by 5% by selling some treasury shares at around 20p. Um, apart from that, there's been no dilution, which, considering over eight years... So, considering this thing's been losing money over that long period of time and burning cash, I think management have held it together remarkably well. So, yeah, I'm still a big fan of Plexus, and we'll just see what happens over the next year, 18 months. I think it could be another multi-bagger, but we'll see. It depends on the news flow. Graham looked at MinCon, M-C-O-N. This is an Irish engineering group. Uh, What was this? Slightly ahead of previously downgraded expectations. Um, Graham thinks it's worth a look, but anyway, he's 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 viewing it as amber. Now, <clears throat> another interesting <clears throat> little software company I looked at, PCI Pal, PCIP. Um, I'm moderately positive on this, so I'm amber green. Put out a trading update, broker forecasts unchanged. Nice organic growth coming through from PCI Pal actually, um, and it's finally reached break even after years of losses. Uh, still a bugbear of this patent infringement case against it but that seems to be going in uh, in PCI PAL's favour but the costs of it are highly material to them um, although it might be able to get some back. They've won the case in London but there's another case in the US which I don't think is being heard for another year so that will it seems continue to be a bit of a drag on things. I don't know why the shares dropped. PCI PAL dropped 12% to 49p on the trading update that's struck me as you know just an inline no change type of movement, so I don't know why the share price dropped. More sellers than buyers, so don't know why that was, but anyway, it was. Mattioli Woods, MTW, Graham looked at, that was in line. Now, we did uh, just one-line comments on some big movers of the day, there were six of them. Futura Medical, FUM, went up uh, 32% on a trading update. I don't rate that share, I don't care what the company says, the product doesn't work. So um, you'd only have to go on Boots and other review sites and look at the customer reviews, which I strongly urge people to do. Uh, SIS Group, SYS, went up 19% on an update. We didn't get around to looking at that. Now, an unusual mid-cap mover rose 19%, which you don't generally see with mid-caps. Renishaw, RSW. Interim results came out, and it said it expects a better H2. Now, XL Media went up 8% to 6.9p, on an exclusive partnership with Star Tribune. We pretty much dropped coverage of XL Media because it's just a serial disappointer. We can't cover cover everything, as I think most of the readers understand. Um, so just because we put it on the agenda, on the list of companies reporting, doesn't mean we're going to necessarily cover it. Uh, if it's very small and very lacklustre, as XL Media is, We'll invest our time in something that is going to be more interesting to the readers, I think. And we follow we follow the widget on the homepage of Stockopedia that tells the most looked at companies. So every morning we're referring to that. And if you look at it, we'll look at it, basically. So um, that way we're aligned with the, what, what the majority of the readers want. But we can't cover everything. Uh, BioMe Technologies rose 7% on an update. And Springfield Properties rose... Uh, 
5% on an affordable housing contract win. Oh, and the only other thing we didn't cover that reported was Discover IE, DSCV is the ticker, 726 million market cap. Um, it put out an inline trading update, and it's not a company I'm familiar with, so I don't want to spend two hours researching something from scrap, scratch if it's just... You know, if it's just in line and none of the readers asked for it either. So that was that. Right. Moving on then to Wednesday's report. This is Wednesday, the 7th of February, 2024. Now, um, I had a look at Filtronic, FTC. This one has been in a really strongly rising trend and well done to holders. I know several of the readers have been talking about this one for a few weeks now. And it really does look as if they've found something interesting here. Um, I had a look at the interim results, as lots of people had asked me to. I think this reported a few days earlier, actually, so I circled back to it. Now, the interim figures themselves for Filtronic, um, which makes components for um, the electronics industry, I think, um, the the figures were, I can only describe as lacklustre, very poor H1 results. But it's all in the Outlook comment where the value lies i mean i wouldn't value this this company at 10 million pounds based on its historic numbers and all its interim results but it's actually valued about well now about 70 or 80 million so the valuation is all resting on the upbeat outlook comments and contract wins and the brokers have raised the forecast and certainly the commentary from the company is upbeat so it does look as if something really interesting is going on here at filtronic with new products and new contract wins um Balance sheet looks fine, although, of course, as it grows, it'll suck in more working capital because you have two debits, your inventories and your receivables, but only one credit entry that goes up, the trade uh, creditors. So that's why companies, as they expand, uh, suck cash into working capital. But it's got... I, I So I did some digging on that and I discovered it has an unutilised um, bank facility. So management have thought of all, all the problems. Uh, I did also flag up high client concentration and lumpiness of orders. The company mentions lumpiness of orders itself in its uh, management commentary. So it's good that they're being upfront about that. The only thing I would say on Filtronic is you really do need to be sure that these higher profits are sustainable. Because, of course, in the past, Filtronics had good runs with uh, particular innovative new products, which have only lasted a relatively short period of time before competitors move in and, and, and take the market from them. This is why, over the long term, Filtronic shares have been very disappointing. But it's having a fantastic run at the moment, and I don't want to pour cold water on that at all. Well done to people who spotted the news flow and got in. How far it goes up, your guess is as good as mine. You know, when you get into a sort of parabolic... Is that the right word? Um, Parabolic? I can't remember. But when you get into a sort of exponential type share price rise, it's usual to get a very sharp reversal, isn't it, at some point. So maybe it's getting to the point where it's more for traders than investors at this stage. I don't know. I'd certainly personally, if it was me, be tempted to bank uh, to top slice and bank some profits. Then you've got some cash to buy back in if it does dip. But each to their own. Everyone not giving advice. Everyone can just make up their own mind. And some people have got a natural instinct for uh, timing market moves. But most of us haven't. <laughs> now, I looked at Future. This is the publishing group. that We used to be a very a real go-go growth share, but has really come back down to earth now. F-U-T-R is the ticker there. Um <clears throat> Slightly below expectations trading update, 
course, no, nobody ever says that, do that. They say broadly in line, but we know what that means. I tell you what, I'll buy shares in the first company that puts out an RNS that says we're slightly below expectations. Just to, just to pat management and the PRs on the back, I'll buy some shares in, in, in any company that has the balls to do that, uh, to be honest. Um, shouldn't really be difficult, should it? But anyway, future FUTR, slightly below expectations trading update for the first four months of September 2024 year end. Um, it's prices of value share, rapidly reducing debt. I'm not worried about the balance sheet, even though it's weak. I don't really understand why this share is now so cheap. So I think future looks great value, FUTR. So I'm green on it. But I don't know all the ins and outs of the business. You know, there might be a good reason. I think some of the readers actually, I think I asked for any bare points on future and a couple of the readers put up some good points on it. So thanks for that. Now, Red Row, RDW, a 2.24 billion market cap, so above our 1 billion limit, but we're inc- increasingly covering mid caps if something interesting has happened. <clears throat> it put out interim results. Profits well down. Obviously, it's a big house builder. Profits well down, uh, as you'd expect. Um, but the outlook comments sounded more upbeat. So I think we, it looks really does look as if we've, we've passed a turning point in the housing market now with um, buyers coming out into, into to, to view and negotiate again. Um, now that mortgage rates, long term fixes are down at more reasonable levels. And um, of course, you know, your average person has had two circa 10 percent pay rises back to back. So you're looking at, you know, nominal nominal incomes for lots of house buyers now will be 15 20% higher than they were 2 years ago. So I think that's I think that's bullish for the housing market. I really do. Um but the bigger news with Red, Red Row was that large arrival Barrett Developments uh has agreed with Red Row management for an all share takeover approach. Now you don't see these that often. Although we did have one the other day, didn't we? What was it? Where a larger company devoured a, a small arrival and did an all-share deal. The reason why all paper deals are not normally very popular is because you've got, you more, you create immediately a large overhang for people who don't necessarily want to hold shares in the combined entity. That's the problem. So the risk is that Barrett Development shares will just drift down as people forward sell them because they don't want to be part of Barrett's. Um, uh, and and red row shares might 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 give up the twenty seven percent premium as well, and that could then mean that the deal founders. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes on. I think it's a good deal for red row holders for sure. Um, it says they've got they're going to make ninety million pounds cost synergies, which sounds very ambitious to me. I appreciate they're both quite big companies, but even so, I'd be surprised if they could achieve that level of cost saving without having some sort of detrimental effect on the business because, you know, you, you haven't got all those people just sitting there twiddling their fingers, have you? Um, they're doing things, and um, if you get rid of them, somebody else will have to do those things. So, I don't know. We'll see. But look, they know the business much better than I do, so good luck to them. Graham looked at PZ Cousins, now at PZC. This is the uh, very strange business, personal care products, with a big operation in, in Nigeria, and they've made a gigantic loss on the um, on the exchange rate plunge in Nigeria, I did a bit of googling, and it turns out that Nigeria earns something like ninety percent of its of its uh, U.S. dollars from oil exports, which um, are struggling at the moment. Um, 
Therefore, they're really finding it difficult in Nigeria to get their to get their dollars, and so as a result, which obviously you need to import things that are not made uh, locally, which I would I would imagine is most things. Um, and you've got a huge population in Nigeria as well, of course. So feeding uh, that huge population must be a challenge too. Anyway, um, Pisa Cousins has taken a massive hit. I think it was about eighty or ninety million pounds or dollars. Um, really, really worrying to be exposed. To that extent, to foreign exchange risk, I think is scary, and for that reason, I wouldn't go near it. But Graham's been quite—he's um, been quite um, uh, generous here, just marking it amber. So there we go. He knows more about it than I do. So that's that one. Um, yeah, Graham said here, given the challenge it faces, challenges it faces, Pisa Cousins wouldn't interest me unless it was extremely cheap, which it isn't. So we don't like that one. Now, I looked at React, R-E-A-T. This is the specialist cleaning um, company group that's trying to uh, sort of grow through acquisitions, but it has this chicken and egg situation that its own shares are lowly rated, so it can't actually create any earnings per share value by by making acquisitions. Um, but anyway, I looked at it with fresh eyes, and I have to say I think it's quite good, which you might be surprised at, but I've marked it amber green, so I'm viewing it overall quite positively. People seem to speak quite highly about management there as well. Um, <clears throat> now, the just to set the record straight on this, the September 2023 results, it quotes EBITDA. And of course, a lot of us don't like EBITDA, but I did delve into the numbers and most of its EBITDA does turn into genuine pre-tax profit because the... Um, uh, the, the the depreciation charge is minimal because it has very little in fixed assets. Uh, and most of the charge is goodwill amortisation relating to acquisitions. And it's customary to reverse those charges out. Most people accept that that is you know, related to historic accounting for acquisitions. It's not relevant to what the business is generating in profit and cash flow today. And when you reverse out the goodwill amortisation charge, actually, React is quite nicely profitable. I haven't got the figures in front of me. I think it was about 1.8 million profit, which for a 14 million market cap company is all right. Now, I wasn't keen on the balance sheet. I think the balance sheet's weak. It hasn't got the funds to do any more significant acquisitions. Uh, there was a good webinar online. I think it was, I think it was from Vox or PI World, one of those two, who did a 15-minute uh, interview with the CEO, who I thought came across very well, Mark Braunt, I think it is. And he uh, he he was basically saying they're looking at doing small bolt-on acquisitions, and you know, he was bigging up the company, just saying, look, we're cash generative. The 87% uh, of the revenues are recurring, which is very impressive. They've uh, very effectively cross-sold between the companies they've acquired, it all sounds, I think it sounds interesting. I could see this re-rating, actually, in a more bullish uh, AIM market. But I have speculated that it might be better off just going private and getting some decent funding to expand from private equity and then refloat it at ten times the price in a couple of years' time. <laughs> that would be the, uh, my suggestion there. But yeah, React, it was better than I expected, so I'm amber green. Now, Ashmore, Graham had a quick look at. This is a... Uh, Ooh, he's put 1.49 million market cap. I think he meant billion. Um, H1 results, Graham thinks is very good. So he's green on Ashmore. So that concludes Wednesday, 7th of February's report. Oh, I should mention this week as well, of course, we've had some real uh, um, yo-yo movements from several shares. Big speculative 
frenzies in obviously still super dry that's still holding up there at about 40p i think it peaked at about 52p very nice trade there for people who saw saw the opportunity but of course very high risk because the company's in a terrible mess and it could easily be put into administration i think so you know you risked your money but this time it worked so you've got to i've got to say well done to people who spotted that trade because i don't think there's any immediate insolvency risk with super dry so actually that was quite insightful, I think, maybe buying those for a bounce. But where the, the question remains, will Dunkerton take it private? There's rumours he's talking to a couple of private equity outfits. And why on earth would they be generous to existing holders, given that the alternative is it goes into administration and he buys the brand for uh, 10 million or something from the administrators? So I think people are playing with fire there. Wouldn't personally... It's just gambling. It's gambling, nothing more than that. Uh, which is fine. If people if people realise they're gambling, good luck to them. Sondrell is very similar. Sondrell Holdings. Now, SND, this is a terrible, disastrous float. It's run out of money. It's already told the market it needs to raise more equity, well, more funds by end of March, which, you know, is imminent. So you can guarantee they'll be having meetings with fund managers and specialist lenders and anyone who will listen to try and raise fresh money on terms that could be ruinously diluted, for all we know. Um, I think the CEO's quite well healed. Didn't he bank some money in the float? So maybe, again, what would the temptation be? Buy it off the administrator. You know, I don't know. Anyway, uh, an absolutely blatant puff piece appeared in the Daily Mail. Um, you know, what do you do if you want to get your share price up? Claim a connection with Elon Musk. <laughs> so they went down that well-trodden route. Um, it may be true. I don't know. Sondrell says it doesn't comment on its customers. But none of this stuff about how it's one of the few companies in the world that can do this, this, that, or the other. It doesn't make any bloody money. So who cares that it's one of the few companies in the world that can do this, that, or the other with computer chips? Make some money. And then um, you'll get a re-rating. But in the meantime, it's got to avoid uh, going bust. So, I mean, the shares have just gone haywire this week. Um, I think it peaked at about 23p. And then bear in mind, it was 5p a few weeks ago. Then it dropped all the way down to about 9p. And people are just, again, people are just gambling on it, which, you know, good luck to you if that's what you want to do. Punt away. Um, but it's not its not anything we can get involved in the small cap value reports other than that I've been reiterating to people. It's on its knees financially and it's desperate. it desperately needs uh, a cash injection in the next few weeks in order to survive. So... Obviously, you know, you've got to be very careful with that type of thing, haven't you? Uh, BAT, the cigarette company. <laughs> That's what I think of cigarettes and people who sell them. Um, BATS went up 7.4% on beating full year forecasts. And one of the readers flagged up there was something to do with uh, an Indian subsidiary that they were selling. PE of 6 and it yields over 10%. If you can live with the guilt of owning a company that um, peddles nicotine addiction products which I can't. I've never bought uh, tobacco shares. I, I'm looking forward to the day when this scourge on humanity of nicotine is, is completely eradicated. Mind you, we, we will have found something else by then to uh, <laughs> to self-destruct with, won't we? Now, hard-eyed dropped 23%. This was a very negative update, um, showing a reduced loss, but it said it needs to seek cash and debt from investors to meet short-term cash constraints. Well, that's serious. That's a big, big problem. So I think hard-eyed um, is heading for another discounted placing. So um, not good there. And then DS Smith, SMDS. Oh, this was it. This was the mid-cap that looks to be um, 
maybe having an all-share merger. That was Mondai, larger competitor Mondai. They're both packaging firms, has approached it about a possible offer. So now on to the main companies for Thursday. I looked at Revolution Beauty. Um, Now that dropped 8%, even though its trading update said it was raising adjusted EBIT guidance. But nearly all of the EBITDA disappears uh, and it makes very little profit in real world old-fashioned terms so um, and the bank have only renewed for 12 months to get it through its next going concern um, uh, hurdle Uh, it outlined a very ambitious growth strategy to take revenues up from about from memory about 200 million up to a billion well it's all very well having aspirations but you know get on with it and do it and then show us the numbers uh, I think there's still a high risk of an equity fundraise being needed here at Revolution Beauty because its balance sheet's still very weak, dependent on the bank debt, which the bank are clearly not that keen on lending because they only renewed, I think, um, for, tw- well, for 12 months, and that was a while back. So, um, <clears throat> But I do think it could be an interesting turnaround at Revolution Bo- Beauty. And, of course, the CFO is the former CFO of Boohoo, who certainly knows the thing, um, Neil Cato. So he certainly knows the thing about online selling of stuff, doesn't he? So, um, and shrewd, hard-nosed negotiation, which is a very much a, a trademark of Boohoo. So it could, it could go either way, Revolution Beauty, REVB. I don't know. Could be an interesting turnaround, but I think there is still a high risk of dilution. Sanderson Design, I've always liked this one. I'm amber green on this to reflect the fact that they have forecast, uh, they've trimmed their forecast for January 2025 by about 7%. And it had a really bumper year in January 2024 from licensing income, which um, <clears throat> fully made up for quite a big shortfall in the operations of the main, of the core business. But they'd already flagged that, so that wasn't new news. I have speculated here that really the business is now a licensing business with, um, you know, the legacy manufacturing business bolted on that doesn't really make any money. So <laughs> you could you could ask the question, why don't they just become a pure IP business and just close the factories? But maybe they need one to be able to do the other. I don't know. But anyway, it has a superb balance sheet, Sanderson Design does, SDG. I like it a lot, but I think it could go either way over the next year. You know, if they're not able to repeat some of the bumper one-off licensing revenues, then, because you've got to remember, these are fashion licensing deals, and often fashion companies will license a particular design, say the William Morris designs, for a particular season's ranges, um, which will only last a year if you're lucky. It could be less than that. But things like bedding, do they've got licensees who license the designs for, for, for duvets and stuff like that. That the, Those would be much longer term. They probably wouldn't, you know, if, they, if that range sells well, then they just carry, selling it, carry on selling it forever. So I think the licensing revenues are a mixture of shorter term deals and longer term deals. Um, so maybe not worth the multiple that, you know, fully long term licensing revenues might otherwise be granted. But anyway, overall, I still like Sanderson Design, but I wouldn't it, I wouldn't be surprised if we do get a profit warning at some point. And it dropped 17 percent, which I think was overly done. It's only pound five now, so I think it's cheap. And I think the company's got considerable value uh, in its design archive to an acquirer. So 
at some point somebody might pounce on Sanderson, I think, for a takeover bid. So I've got a tiny position personally, but I think it's the type of thing I'd probably keep my powder dry and pile in if it spiked down on a profit warning because you don't have to worry about the finances because the balance sheet's so strong. And, you know, it's a good show. I, mean, I bought some during COVID at about 40p and they went up, I think, up to about £2. Yeah, it was a great, it was a really good trade that one was. And you buy them when everybody's just in a state of total despair, basically. And that's, uh, that's, that's the best time to be getting the checkbook out, isn't it? Watchers of Switzerland has just uh, popped into our lobby at the Small Cap Value Reports and is... is uh, taking off its coat and hanging up its umbrella. It's because it's dipped down to 939 million market cap. We don't know the, whether it's going to stay and join the party or or uh, beat a hasty retreat back into mid-cap space. I've probably flogged that analogy for as long as I can. <laughs> anyway, it put out a Q3 trading update, which was in line. Remember, Watches of Switzerland, they sell the high-end watches, but they don't own the rights to them, so I don't like the business model. But it's been a bit of a... But bit of a fad, hasn't it, in a speculative bubble in in high-end watches. Ridiculous products, I think, when your 9.99 Casio tells us the time just as well. But anyway, and why people want to make themselves a magnet for muggings or burglaries, I, by buying these ridiculously expensive watches, I have no idea. But obviously people must think they're a status symbol. I think they're um, quite the opposite, personally. Just a sign of vulgarity and stupidity, really. But look, each to their own. Each to their own. If people get pleasure from owning them, that then that's fine, isn't it? Uh, so what are we saying here? Oh, no further bad news, basically, is the best we can say about this. USA is trading well from watches of Switzerland, but UK and Europe are suffering from weak demand. And Graham's mentioned that the absence of VAT free shopping for tourists in London might be causing problems, but that the Treasury are apparently reviewing that, aren't they? I've never understood why tourists should be able to shop VAT free. You know, why do we all have to pay VAT on our expensive watches where somebody can just fly in from abroad and buy it VAT free? I don't really understand that. Maybe somebody can explain to me. Uh, but Graham says actually the valuation on Watches Switzerland Group is starting to look quite tempting. I notice I think the PE is down to about 10, maybe slightly below. So it could be worth a look when sentiment's poor. Now, this is an interesting company I've never looked at before. Don't know why just haven't. AFM, it's called Alpha Financial Markets Consulting. So I had to spend a couple of hours going through the basics on this to work out what it is and what it does. And it's really a specialised staffing group that has about a thousand specialist financial markets consultants that it rents out to uh, clients on pretty good margins. So it's a fancy staffing business, really. Uh, it's on a P of about 13, pays a 4.2% dividend yield. It's making bolt-on acquisitions self-funded. Um, uh, is this a profit warning? Not really. I've said it's such a small adjustment to forecast that I've not labelled it as a profit warning. Um, so I've said here, look, I don't really know much about Alpha Financial Markets Consulting, but I think it's worth you taking a, a closer look because it looks quite positive on my initial review. Although it's, you know, it's saying that business at the moment is a bit sluggish, but you know, that's just macro, isn't it? That should improve over time. And it could, have, could then end up looking cheap once once earnings have started to improve and the rating maybe goes up to, from 13 to 15 or whatever, you could get a good 30-40% out of that, I think. So it's worth a look. James Fisher and Sons, this was um, an inline update. Graham looked at this one. He doesn't like it. Um, is this a yeah marine services business? He says there's an issue with debt 
and um, and I think it's loss making. So Graham's decided it's too high risk. So he doesn't like uh, James Fisher. So that was Thursday's report. Right on to Friday, 9th of February. Now this was quite a productive day. I did I do Friday's reports on my own. Remember, Graham has a, a day off, and I was looking at I looked at five interesting companies from the backlog and I'm glad I looked at all of them actually I thought these were all quite interesting Seeing Machines I've followed for donkey's years that's been listed uh, for many many years done lots of fundraisers never quite seems to get there in terms of uh, it never seems to meet its forecasts so I'm a bit sceptical about this just because of the history this is the company Seeing Machines that has it installs cameras that look at your eyeball and your eye movements and, and very sophisticated software um, then monitors the driver alertness for all sorts of vehicles, but mainly uh, cars. It started out for mining trucks, which were hugely, hugely expensive. And, you know, if a drowsy driver crashes one, it's going to cost you squillions to repair it. So it seems to be successfully filtering down into higher volume markets and it's got a good order book and contract backlog so it does seem to be going places um, seeing machines does maybe i've been a bit too harsh here i've marked it as red though i tell you why because it's going to need to raise more money i think i think it's got a fundraise coming probably in late 2024 but also and i'm really cross with management the way they uh, didn't disclose this at all in the trading update they claimed it has net cash it doesn't have net cash it has a 2026 convertible loan um which is a liability on the balance sheet so you can't just ignore that you've got to be straight with people and tell them yes we've got cash gross cash but we've also got this convertible loan it's just dishonest not uh, mentioning the convertible loan and telling the market you've got net cash it's really dishonest i don't like that at all um but on the upside the revenues are growing and it receiving machines reckons that it can reach cash flow break even by june 2025 which is good because it's going to need to work out how the hell it's going to pay off this convertible loan in 2026 and the conversion terms are 11p which is just over double the current share price although i think it's very impressive that they got that convertible loan away at all from some large canadian uh, automotive parts supplier called mag magna i think um, who clearly believe in the company, or well, they wouldn't have uh, been so generous with with the loan funding. So there's definitely something interesting there. Anyway, I'm hoping to speak to the company, actually, late next week. Um, oh, and the other one I'm hoping to speak to late next week as well is Beaks. Uh, Gordon MacArthur at Beaks Financial Cloud, who I did interview once a couple of years ago. Uh, he's got a very busy schedule at the moment. He's doing quite a lot of international travelling. Um, so I'm trying to uh, find a slot with his PA that works for both of us. Um, So I'll hopefully get a bit more colour from Gordon about the contract wins at Beaks. So I'm looking forward to, to, uh, to that. We're seeing machines. I'm just having a private meeting with them. So nothing, nothing that I'll be able to report on. Um, uh, That was that. Um, SNU on um, Friday. This is the ticket SUS specialist lender for car financing and property bridging loans it's a profit warning uh, not a disaster though they've just said that look you know conditions are tough and they've not back guidance of profit by t- between 10 and 15 percent now um i rather glossed over the issue of the uh regulatory work that they're doing in conjunction with the fca but several of the readers actually said they uh that we should probably be a bit more worried about that than i than i was because um you know these um 
these regulatory inspections and so on can sometimes have nasty results. So that's a fair point, actually. Um, so thanks for making that. Um, I do think, though, that the shares are look, look look pretty good value. But I actually, after the readers mentioned this thing about the um, regulatory thing, I did slightly uh, lower my stance, my view from amber green to just amber. So, you know, we always keep our ears and eyes open. And if, uh, you know, if people challenge us on the on the colour, on our view on any company, well, with good, good um, bull or bear points, we'll, uh, we'll listen and uh, reserve the right to change our mind at any time on any share. Because that's what you've got to do, hasn't it? You don't just form rigid, fixed views on companies. You you, you, you bend with the wind. Uh, so that was SNU. But we, I do like the fact that it's family-owned and family-controlled. Seems to be very well-run, pretty prudent in their lending policies, I think. And, you know, it's got a brilliant long-term 30-year uh, dividend payment track record. So it's not a sort of... Uh, you know, it's not one of these sort of startup challenger thing run by naive, um, wet behind the ear uh, millennials. You know, it's a it's a traditional family family run company that has been through the business cycle numerous times. So for that reason, I think SNU is worth considering. But the the regulatory stuff is a bit of a worry. Now, Kinovo, which one was this? K-I-N-O. Oh, yes, this was an interesting one. Bit of a special situation, a niche property services business that does um, regulatory uh, checking, servicing services of some kind, I don't know. Uh, I, I think the business, the core business actually looks quite good. And this trading update was in line. However... The sting in the tail is that they got a whole load of legacy contracts from a former um, construction division which have got nasty um, costs and potential reclaims uh, associated with them. And it looks a mess, I've got to say. And um, so I think the balance sheet's already weak. And if they then have to pay out millions in remediation claims that seem to be uh, limbering up, uh, I think. I think it could could be quite high risk. This one, I think. I see a high risk of a placing at Canovo, and I wouldn't want to particularly get involved because I don't think the share price adequately reflects the risk. I think it's more or less ignoring these legacy costs, which I think could be a bit fool foolhardy. I wouldn't pay more than a P of eight for it, even if all the legacy problems were dealt with. So where's the upside? So yeah, I didn't I didn't rate Kinovo, so I've marked it as red. The readers have been badgering me to look at Alumask, A-A-L-U, which I have to say, I think is really good. I've marked this as green, uh, interim results. They were only in line, so we didn't look at them originally, but the readers said, look, Paul, this is a really good value share. Take a, take a look at it. So I did, and I'm glad they asked me, because uh, you know, we don't guarantee to look at reader requests. It's not an on-demand um, service. If if it was, you know, you could put a couple of zeros on the on the subscription price <laughs> if you want your own private analyst. So, you know, but we do take into account uh, reader requests, and if it gets a lot of thumbs up, then that's saying to us, okay, a dozen people or twenty five people want us to look at this, so we'll look at it. And we follow the widget on the homepage, as I mentioned before, so we can see what you're looking at, and so we 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 look at the stuff you're you're interested in. Anyway, Ali Mask Building Products uh, Company, nice margins. Um, the balance sheet, I think, was okay. It's on a pretty low P rating that I think has got scope for an uplift. And of course, building sector is currently in a, in a depression or a recession, and you know it's starting to the tide is starting to turn. So I think you know this could be a good point in the cycle 
to look at uh, building supplies companies generally. I think there are quite a lot of good companies there that have still performed well in, in this downturn, and Ali Musk is one of them. So, yeah, thumbs up from me. I think it looks good. Venture Life, I looked at VLG. This has a portfolio of personal care products. I can't get excited about it. I'm really sorry. Um, <clears throat> and the trading update was a bit vague in places, so I'll need to see the full year numbers. Um, I'm not keen. I think it's got too much bank debt. The finance charges are big now. Uh, EBITDA is meaningless uh, there when you drill into it and look at all the other costs that are bypassed from EBITDA. And management sold bank millions selling their shares at 90p, and it's now 37p. So it looks pretty dismal, I have to say, so I'm not keen on Venture Life, even though the update wasn't bad, in, in, in to be fair. Now, in terms of the reader comments this week, I think the less said about that, the better. I think me and some of the readers went absolutely haywire this week, and it all got a bit out of hand. I think let's just draw a line under it uh, and start fresh on Monday morning, That's, uh, rather than dragging through the entrails of a, of a rather um, difficult week. So... Uh, new week on monday fresh start okay anyway thanks very much for um for listening and uh, for all your support those of you who mainly are supportive and um we'll uh, we'll see you on monday morning okay bye for now bye